Well, good morning and great grace to you this morning. I want to say Happy Mother's Day to my mother and to all the mothers out there. This is a very special day. Amen. Well, over the past several weeks, the majority of the world has lived in somewhat of a cast. Let me see if I can explain what I just said. How many of you know that when a fractured limb or a torn muscle is put into a plaster or a fiberglass cast, it is sequestered there for the purpose of protection and healing? I mean, is that a reasonable statement? I think it is. The fractured limb is not put in a cast as a form of punishment, even when the injury is brought about by our own doing, which is typically the case. Now, that's important to know that because the Father, our Father God, is not inflicting injuries on his kids so that he can teach his consequences or behavior modification. The limb is immobilized in the cast with protection and healing in mind, that is all. Now, the reason we don't like our limbs wrapped in casts is because for a period of time, you know what it does? It redefines our normal. You see, when we're wearing a cast over a fractured limb, we are more restricted. We have limitations that didn't exist before the cast, and our day-to-day -day activities have become more clumsy and awkward. I think anyone that has worn a cast over an arm, a wrist, whatever, a leg or an ankle, maybe even a whole body cast, would know that to be true. And over the past several weeks, like most pastors and teachers, and even I see the worship leaders doing it, I have been ministering the Word from my home office rather than my church sanctuary. I do this so that I might stay in compliance with the Illinois Shelter-in-Place and the Wisconsin Safer-at-Home policies, and I do that regardless of how I feel about these mandates. I don't like this any more than you do, but my emotions do not get to vote or go on some sort of whitewater rafting tirade. You see, if I allowed my feelings and my emotions to cast their vote, no pun intended, but if I allowed my feelings and my emotions to cast their vote, they would cut off my cast before it's time, and the end result would not bring as much glory to my body. To take away people from an extroverted pastor like myself is like taking away the paintbrushes from an artist. We groan in spirit and are troubled. You see, I love to look into the eyes and into the hearts of the congregation and the people that I'm ministering Papa's Word to. I long to wrap my arms around people and give them Daddy's grace and Daddy's love. But until my shelter-in-place, safer-at-home cast is cut off, I can still distribute grace and truth, hope and mercy, life and love through the spoken Word of God. And how can I do that? I can do that across the airwaves. Friends, the Word is what brings the healing. The Word is the mediator that takes a fractured heart and sets it with resurrection life. The Word of grace is the instrument that removes the grave clothes of condemnation and looses us from the rotten stench of flesh. The gospel of grace is like a cast over our broken souls and our fractured emotions so that we can be protected and healed. Friends, the word is Christ, and this word comes to us through Jesus's finished work of grace. The one thing that has not changed at our home since the sequestering began is the fact that my wife Valerie is a night owl and I'm still an early bird. And whether I drive to church or minister from home, 
It doesn't matter. I rise at the same hour every Sunday morning. The difference is, instead of driving 75 miles to church, yes, I did say 75 miles to church, instead of driving 75 miles to my church to minister to my congregation, well, I just walk 20 feet down a hallway to an empty room. It's just me and Jesus. That is, until I post the message for all to hear. As the gospel of grace and the unconditional love of the Father is released in the airwaves, it is like a cast-cutting saw that releases its hearers from the hindrances that once bound them. You see, like a cast, the Word of God has an assignment to protect and heal fractured men and women, boys and girls. I'm talking about the fractured ways of thinking. When our cast is removed, when our cast is cut away, healing is released into our souls. I'm talking about the fractured ways of thinking. When those are cut away, healing is released into our souls. When the cast is removed, what I'm talking about is the old crusty outward shell of performance and working to please Papa. When that cast is cut away, healing is released into our souls. When the cast is removed, I'm talking about the blood-soaked gauze that wrapped us with guilt, shame, and fear and laid us in a grave of condemnation. When that cast is removed, friends, healing is released into our souls. Friends, the gospel of grace was not given to us so that it could sequester us behind the stone-cold law of Moses. I've come by today to put us in remembrance that the stone was rolled away when Jesus, the very personification of grace, called us to come forth and out of an unknown tomb. And it was there that the cast was removed from our spirit man. How, you ask? Because in an instant, our spirit man was completely restored to health. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I love that scripture. Have you noticed over the past few weeks that I minister a little differently from home than I do from my church? I have. <laughs> my wife has. And others have told me the same thing. They've commented on it as well. I'm a little less expressive from home and certainly quieter. And because I'm an early riser, I have felt a little restricted myself, a little limited myself. You see, I have to be mindful not to become too loud, too happy, and too expressive when I minister from home. Why? Because Valerie is still a night owl. That means she sleeps in for a little while in the morning. As strong as Valerie is in spirit, her body still requires rest. In other words, I can't take away Valerie's liberties just for my own benefit. With those thoughts in mind, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning through a message I'm calling Fragile Humanity, Eternal Strength. In our day-to-day -day lives, there are a multitude of things that present themselves in such a manner that causes us to be deeply moved and troubled. I want you to think about what I just said for a moment. Picture this, you are coursing your way through life. The tailwind from a cool summer breeze is at your back, and then the next day you are resisting the headwind of a polar vortex. I'm talking about the occasions when everything felt like it was going just right, and then we got painted into a corner. 
I'm talking about the issues of life that come and then they cause us to feel like we are at our rope's end. You say, Pastor Mark, are you feeling that way? No, I'm not feeling that way at all, friend. Not at the moment anyway. But just allow the calendar to turn enough of its pages and I assure you that there are issues of life on my calendar that are on a trajectory that will deeply move me and trouble me. Issues that put my liberties in a cast. I am fragile humanity wrapped around eternal strength. And that is my point. There are going to be events and issues that come our way that are painful, either physically or emotionally or both. They are painful. Issues of life that either directly or indirectly affect every single one of us. Now, let me ask you a question. What is our response when these harrowing intruders come knocking? Please, let's take a moment to consider the question and then let's be honest with ourselves. What is our response? First of all, we must trust that our Father is just as good and just as faithful to us when we are in the valley as He is to us when we are on the mountaintop. He is just as good and faithful whether He responds to our needs on day one or day four. It doesn't matter. Did you know that during the Olympic medal ceremonies that the gold medalist always stands on a higher platform than the silver or the bronze medalist? Have you ever noticed that? In other words, the gold medalist has been elevated above the others. Friends, that's not how it works in Papa's kingdom. In Daddy's kingdom, all are loved. In Daddy's kingdom, all are cherished, all are celebrated, and all are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now let me ask you another question. Would you like to see a deeper fulfillment in the ministry and the life that Papa has called you to? If your answer is yes, then exalt your brothers and sisters in Christ even above yourselves. Exalt Jesus above all the things that deeply move you and trouble you. Friends, I live the life I'm encouraging to live, and I know many others that do as well. In the early 2000s, my wife and I were pastor in a church in Beloit, Wisconsin. And one evening, a woman walked in for the first time. Her name was Enadina. She was a very quiet woman, and we would come to really know and love Sister Enadina as she would make our church her home. She was industrious. She was ambitious. She ran a daycare center but at the same time, very quiet. My mother would occasionally come to church, but not very often. You see, my mother had bad knees. And when you would walk into the church, there were five stairs that led up into the sanctuary. Those were tough for her to negotiate. And God forbid you had to use the bathroom during the service, because not only did you have to walk down those five stairs, then you had to make a left turn and walk down another 12. All in all, there were 17 stairs that led down to the bathrooms. And then you had 17 more stairs to walk back up. So my mother didn't come very often, just on special occasions, and she made sure she didn't drink much before she came to church. And so Sister Enadina met my mom on just a couple of occasions. 
I would go over to see my mother at her apartment on a very regular basis. And when I would come, I had a key for her door. I would just unlock it and walk in. But when I grabbed the doorknob on this particular day, it was not locked. So I opened the door. And as I looked across the room, there sat my mother in a chair. And Sister Enadina was at her feet, washing her feet. <laughs> now, what do you say when you come into a situation like this? Friends, there are no words. Sister Enadina continued to wash my mother's feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around her. And when she was done, she put lotion all over her feet and ankles and legs. She got up, she went to the sink and emptied the basin and then quietly left. When she left, I looked at my mama and I said, Mama, I said, what was that all about? She said, I don't know, son. I received a phone call from Enadina. And she said, Sister Donna? And I said, yes. She said, this is Enadina. Would it be okay if I came today and washed your feet? My mother said, sure. What was Enadina doing? She was preferring the needs of someone else over her very own. Not even realizing that a man by the name of Mark Testerman would stand in a pulpit one day and tell the whole world what she had did for his mama. Jesus was familiar with treatment like this as well. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13, these words. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? See, she has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus said to his disciples as they were quarreling, Why are you bothering this woman? Why are you trying to put a cast on a perfectly good limb? Who are you to reverse her new normal? Who made you the physician? Can't you please look beyond her resume and see her heart? I'm deeply moved and troubled by your words. And in that narrative in Matthew there, Jesus was in essence saying, let it be echoed throughout the ages how fragile humanity ministered to eternal strength.
Friends, several years ago, I felt the Holy Spirit say the same thing to me. He said, you tell them everywhere you go how Inadina ministered to your mama. You tell them about a woman that preferred the well-being of someone else, even over her own desires and comfort zone. Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of them, you've done it unto me. Fragile humanity, eternal strength, beautiful. In the Gospel of John, we find narratives and accounts that are not recorded by any of the other gospel authors. I find that fact interesting because the Apostle John was the last of the four gospel writers to pen the book that bears his name. Now, I think we all know that typically when you go last at something, the good stuff has already been taken. The low-hanging fruit has already been picked, right? Friends, I mean, that reality holds true with something as simple as a rummage sale. And the sought-after treasures have long been procured by the first to arrive. Surely you would have thought that Matthew, or maybe Mark, or even Luke, would have recorded what we now know as some of the most cherished encounters of Jesus. Oh, but they didn't. No one but John writes about Jesus' first miracle. I'm talking about when he turned water into wine. How can you not record the first miracle? That would be like never taking a picture of your firstborn child. It just doesn't seem right. John alone pens the encounter of Jesus and a man by the name of Nicodemus, one of my absolute favorite stories and men and characters of the Bible. You see, we all remember that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Yeah. And then Nicodemus falls into the shadows of the timeline, that is, until the cross when Nicodemus's fragile humanity had to look into the eyes of eternal strength as he heard the words spoken from Jesus, Father, they don't know what they're doing. What kind of love is this? Many of us have forgotten or overlooked the recorded truth that this same Nicodemus was one of the two men that took Jesus's body off the cross and prepared it for burial. And because the Apostle John was a witness to both of the Nicodemus encounters, he made sure that he included it in his gospel so that what he had done would also be told in memory of him. Nicodemus, fragile humanity, anointed the body of eternal strength with myrrh and aloes. Only John draws our attention to the Samaritan woman that Jesus set free at Jacob's well. It was the day when fragile humanity took a drink of living water from eternal strength. John is the only writer that tells us about the healing of an invalid at the pool of Bethesda. I'm talking about the man that had been in that condition for 38 years. Fragile humanity was no match for eternal strength. John is the only author that shares the intimate story of the woman that was set free from the weights of shame and adultery. That is John chapter 8. Fragile humanity receives the gift of no condemnation from eternal strength. 
John alone records the events of the healing of the man that was born blind, John chapter 9. John is the only one of the four gospel writers that reveals the up close and personal details of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Friends, does the motion picture develop in your head the feet of fragile humanity in the hands of eternal strength? It's a beautiful picture. One of the most epic narratives of the New Testament in which the Apostle John once again is the sole author of is the raising from the dead a man named Lazarus. The story begins in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. What was the message that the messengers brought? Lord, the one you love, Lazarus, fragile humanity, is sick. And we've come to the source of eternal strength. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, watch this now, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Friends, uh, through the opening words of this narrative, and even through our own physical or emotional life experiences, I think we can incontrovertibly conclude that our Father God has more in mind than immediate intervention from everything that moves us and troubles us. Let me put it this way. As compassionate and loving as Papa is, He has a much larger plan than just catering to our emotions and comfort zones. How many of you know that there are times when we have to walk through stuff? <laughs> How many of you know that there's times we have to walk through stuff? I mean, walking around our stuff is not always an option. There are times when we have to walk through things that were not even of our own making. It was simply the domino effect from others' decisions and carelessnesses. The pandemic that has painted the world into a corner is a good example of that. I'm talking about decisions and carelessness from others that affected the entire world. Who is our first example of that? That's Adam. Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He sinned, and that sin affected all humanity. Jesus is our last example. His sacrifice on the cross, His once-for-all sacrifice on the cross, affected all humanity. Gave every man, woman, boy, and girl the ability, the privilege to become sons of God, even unto them which believe on His name. We see that truth in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, that's Christ, the many, will be made righteous. I love that scripture, friends. Please lock that scripture in the hope chest of your heart. <laughs> Amen. Friends, I want you to sequester that truth in your hearts for just a moment. Put your religious minds in a temporary cast as you allow grace and truth to protect and heal your broken ways of thinking. Let me say it again. We are made righteous through the obedience of Jesus. 
Is that what the Scripture says? Yes, that's what the Scripture says. Then there is nothing we can do to help us to become more righteous. Listen, the Holy Spirit reminded me recently that He is our helper. We are not His helper. That's an amazing truth. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper. We are not His helper. We are not made righteous through our own acts of goodness or our own obedience. We are made righteous through the obedience of this one man, Jesus Christ. I challenge you to find me a new covenant scripture that runs contrary to what I've just spoken. I'm also thankful there's a, a right side to the stuff that we've got to walk through. There's another side. There's another side to the stuff that we've got to walk through. Like the prophet Isaiah, we discovered that the Father crowns us with beauty in place of ashes. Friends, I'm not settling for ashes when I can have a crown of beauty. <laughs> Amen? Ashes represent mourning and sorrow, and the crown of beauty represents joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Ashes speak of the old covenant, and the crown of beauty speaks of the new covenant. The covenant that crowns us with royalty and sonship and beauty. So awesome. We have to quit listening to all of that negative gibberish, and we need to begin once again to dream about Papa's endless abilities to rescue us from the grip of darkness. Sometimes benefits emerge for ourselves and for others that would have not come about if it had not been for the issues of life that put us in a temporary cast. Now that's not a popular message, but it is a truthful one, and the Bible says the truth will set you free. Friends, the truth delivers a sedative to runaway emotions and feelings. When Jesus received the news about his friend Lazarus, the one he loved, he intentionally stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus has the power to heal his friend. Jesus has the power to speak a word and deliver him from his sickbed, yet he deliberately delays his departure for Bethany. Did Jesus have commitments that he couldn't break? No, that wasn't it. Did Jesus have appointments that he couldn't reschedule? No, that wasn't it. Was there a shelter-in-place mandate that Jesus couldn't violate? Of course not. So then the obvious question that we have to tackle right out of the gate is, why? Why did Jesus delay rushing to his friend Lazarus' bedside? That's a really good question, isn't it? To this day, believers are still asking the same question when it comes to their own affliction, their own brokenness, and their own need for healing. <laughs> why the delay, Jesus? Verse 4 explains Jesus' delay to go to Lazarus when he says, This sickness will not end in death. And then he says, No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So let me ask you a question. Whose idea do you suppose it was that the Son of God might be glorified? It was the Father's. You see, the Father's heart is always to exalt His Son, and the Son's heart is always to exalt His Father. Friends, isn't that what I said earlier? When I said, if you want your ministry and your life to take on new meaning, then exalt others above yourself and exalt Jesus above your own issues of life. 
put others in Jesus on the gold medal platform, dare to wash the feet of the downtrodden people in society, put a cast on those that are broken and remove the cast from the ones that are healed. How do we do that? Primarily with the word of God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I'd love to take a picture of like that and hang that above my mantle, my fireplace. Isn't that beautiful? With those words, a word fitly spoken, a word that comes at the right time, a word that comes with the right heart is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. In other words, what it's telling you is it becomes very valuable, friends. Through the Lazarus narrative, we see that Jesus is desiring to exercise his disciples' faith so that they will trust in his Father's resurrection power and love. You see, folks, a bodybuilder cannot gain muscle by walking around the fitness center. <laughs> That's ridiculous. His or her journey to build muscle begins by walking into the fitness center. In the same manner, a person doesn't develop muscle by looking at the weights when they get in there. They develop muscle by lifting the weights. Muscles must be exercised, and faith is like a muscle. The more it is exercised, the more it grows. The more our faith grows, the more we can learn to trust that our Father has a plan for us, even in the midst of sickness, even when facing death. Faith that is left in a cast will not grow. It must be exercised. Verse 1 contains specific details. Here is a man. His name is Lazarus. He is from Bethany. His sisters are Mary and Martha. And in the crosshairs of the abbreviated biography, we learn that Lazarus is gravely ill. Lazarus is sick. Verse 1 again. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Behind our English word sick is the Greek word astheneho which means powerless. It means without breath. Powerless. Lazarus was powerless. Powerless to do what? Powerless to save himself. Apart from Christ, we are powerless to save ourselves. We are also rendered powerless to save ourselves through the law, friends. That's why we minister the gospel of grace because we know the law has no power to save a man. You say, Mark, that can't be true. Friends, it is true. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law and then render it obsolete. The law has no power to save us. We see that truth in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, some of my favorite scriptures. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, man, I love that. How that makes me want to do a happy dance. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Watch this now. For what the law was powerless to do, <laughs> there it is, the law was powerless because it was weakened by the flesh 
God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Friends, what liberty we find in those four verses. The law was powerless. The law is not your helper, the Holy Spirit is our helper. When he had heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back there? I love Jesus' answer. He said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? He's drawing their attention to the light. The very light that created the world. He said, anyone who walks in the daytime, I love this, he said, will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus was saying, when a person lives by way of fragile humanity rather than eternal strength, they will stumble. And after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, friends, come here, <laughs> Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Not die with Lazarus, he was talking about dying with Jesus. He figured, well, if we go back there, they wanted to kill you when we were there last, Jesus, so... <laughs> They're going to want to kill you now. So let us go that we may die with him. He's not walking by daylight, is he? No, he's walking in the dark. And that's why he's stumbling over his words. He's stumbling in his mind. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. No problem. No problem. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, and Martha said to Jesus, Oh, Martha, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, I love these words, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never 
die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the very same words that her sister Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, look at these words, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. It literally means he was agitated. It means to snort with anger. Look it up one time. It means to snort with anger. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then one of the shortest verses of the Bible is John chapter 11, verse 35. The two words, Jesus wept. So let's ask the question, why did Jesus weep? Was he sad that Lazarus had died? Friends, it's much larger than that. I believe it broke Jesus' heart that Mary and Martha only saw the resurrection as a future event rather than the person of Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I'm going to become the resurrection and life. I am, I currently am the resurrection and the life. And they're looking at some sort of future event. Why? Because religion has taught them that. You see, Mary and Martha had been quarantined within the Old Covenant so long, they just couldn't see beyond the grave. Jesus was plainly telling them, I can take your cast of religion off now! Your social distancing days are over with! You can hug me today! You can hug your brother today! Mary! Martha! Today! Fragile humanity! will hear the voice of eternal strength and come forth. Lazarus will shed the grave clothes that once bound him as he is loosed from behind the stone. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Friends, you're always going to have division. Jesus once more deeply moved. That means agitated, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. What were Jesus' words? Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, 
the sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. A cast, if you will. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes, remove his cast, and let him go. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. Many believers remain sequestered behind the stone, the hard place, for a lifetime because they have confused resurrection life with heaven. They have traded relationship for rules, and in doing so, they wear their casts until the day they die. They have viewed resurrection life as only an event rather than the person of Jesus Christ. As a result, they live with limitations and restrictions, and their day-to-day -day activities are clumsy and awkward. Friends, Jesus has not called us to live a sick and powerless life in Him. The Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be sin offering. Through Jesus' sin offering, he removed the cast of the old covenant. Through Jesus' sin offering, he removed the grave clothes of condemnation. Through Jesus' sin offering, many will be made righteous. Through Jesus' sin offering, he put a paintbrush in our hand. And then he put his masterful hand around ours as he helped us to paint a picture that truly reflects the loving and gracious heart of his papa. Friends, hear the words from our Jesus. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. And now the time has fully come. My painting is complete. It is a finished work. What does my painting reveal? When I look to my painting, I behold the crucified Christ, fragile humanity. But three days into the backdrop of my painting, my eyes and my heart are drawn to an empty tomb which speaks of eternal strength. Friends, we are no longer sick. We are no longer powerless. We are no longer fractured. We are no longer sequestered behind the stone. We don't have to wear masks. We don't have to wear casts any longer. Why? Because fragile humanity was crucified with Christ. We were buried with him in baptism and raised in resurrection life and eternal strength. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, Daddy, I want to just thank you that the masks have been removed, the casts have come off. We don't have to sanitize our hands to be right with you. We were made the righteousness of God in Christ. I want to thank you for that amazing truth, Daddy. And Father, whether you respond to our needs on day one or day four, it doesn't matter. You are the resurrection and the life. Father, help us to be mindful that while we have opportunity, we can wash the feet of another person. We can set them on a gold medalist platform, Daddy, and we can exalt them. We can exalt our Christ above even our own desires and plans. I want to thank you, Father, that through the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous in Jesus. I want to thank you, Father, that you send people into our lives, people like a sister Enadina that comes along and has probably never given it another thought that she would humble herself to wash my mama's feet. And Daddy, as I think about that, even on Mother's Day, that someone came along and washed my mama's feet. And your words said, why are you bothering this woman? Why are you trying to put a cast on a perfectly good limb? Why are you trying to reverse her new normal? Can you please look beyond her past? Can you please look beyond her laundry list and see her heart? Father, I'm thankful for the times that our faith, like a muscle, has to be exercised. Faith that's necessary to live life and see good days. Faith that reaches out to fragile humanity with eternal strength. In Jesus' name, amen.